Hey guys, today I'm with Rachel from Hey Sleepy Baby. Do you follow her on Instagram? Because she's got a lot of followers and she has a very cool birth story. And we're going to talk all about Hey Sleepy Baby and having an accidental home birth. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, just a little something before we get started today, and that is, what happens if you don't take Birth Story Academy? So like, let's say you're pregnant, that's why you're listening to the Birth Story podcast, and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like, do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know, do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition. And like we get into it. We make birth plans. We do birth visions. We listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations. And like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences. How to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is... If you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like, I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. Like, I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger with some confidence, like wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you doing today? 
I am great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. As I told everyone in the intro, you are Rachel with Hey Sleepy Baby. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about Hey Sleepy Baby and like as the listeners are kind of like going through their pregnancy, sleep is something that is just so stressful to like think about just the fourth trimester being new parents. So we're going to dig in a little bit to your business and how it started and also your birth stories. Yay. I'm so excited to talk about all of the above. I mean, the reason I started my Instagram account was just like you said, because sleep is such a stressful thing. And I went really through the ringer with my first baby and just kind of was looking for answers that I wasn't finding anywhere else when I was pregnant with my daughter, my second baby. So since I wasn't really finding it out there, I decided to kind of create it myself and, you know, went through a few different certifications in sleep and attachment and breastfeeding and really just learned so much that I didn't even know that I didn't know. I think in this culture, it's so, uh, it's just so stressful and there's so much pressure and almost like this competition about baby sleep. Like how early can your baby sleep through the night or how long does your baby nap for, or, you know, Oh, your baby can nap in a crib. And it's just, there are so many things that we think are normal that actually really aren't and vice versa. So that's kind of my whole mission from the beginning is just to let parents know that they're likely already doing great, that their baby is not broken just because they, you know, wake up a few times at night or really like to be held for their naps. And I just want to relieve a lot of that stress and pressure so that you can kind of just enjoy your baby in the first few months and couple of years, because you won't get that time back. And you don't want to look back thinking about how much you stressed about something that really is kind of out of our control anyways. Right. Mm-hmm. So out of our control. And like, I could expound on this too, because my like babies now are six and eight years old and they still don't sleep through the night. You Mm -hmm. know, they still each have one nighttime awakening. And when they come in, I let them co-sleep from that point on and have a general feeling that my 15 year old boys aren't going to be in my bed with me. You know, I'm sure they won't. (laughs) I just, at some point, I guess it will end, but it's learning healthy sleep habits. I mean, even as an adult, right? I mean, this is a very important foundation. So thank you for talking with us today and sharing a little bit. Of course. What year was that? So I was definitely not the first one on the scene. There were many that came before me, but most of the bigger sleep accounts that you see out there are very heavy on sleep training and that's not what I do. So yeah, I was, you know, a little bit kind of newer to it, but it's still, it's been like over two years. I started my account actually while I was on maternity leave with my daughter. It was like my little maternity leave project. I thought I would have so much time. And then the same week that I started, we were hit with our first COVID lockdown. It was March, 2020. So, you know, then plans changed. I had my older son home with me as well. So I had toddler, newborn, home full-time trying to kind of launch this new thing and new business. And yeah, it was a lot. It was a real hustle at the beginning, but I think it was worth it. It is a real hustle. And so as we're recording too, you have just under 300,000 followers on Instagram, which is Mm -hmm. like pretty significant. Yeah. You are a social media influencer, like, you know, and so I I love, so weird. I love asking this question (laughs) to influencers. Like, it's not like when we were in high school, we were like, I'm going to grow up and be an influencer. That wasn't wasn't even a thing, thing, you know? So that's where I want to start there. Like, did you, when you set out to like communicate and build community, 
on Mm -hmm. social media about this. Like, did you expect or want for it to grow as big as it has grown? I did. Like, I would definitely be lying if I was to say that I didn't want a lot of followers and a big platform and to be able to make a full-time income. I was a teacher before. Uh, so, and my husband's a social worker. So we were, you know, pretty broke for a while there. And, you know, I thought the reason I started was a, to learn more for my own benefit. Cause I was having another baby and really, you know, wanted to approach sleep in a different way than I did with my first. So that was kind of part of the inspiration, but I also was like, this could actually be a great side hustle. Maybe I could start to, you know, see some clients on, on the weekends or see some clients at night and make a little extra income. And it really just turned into like such a passion. Once I saw that moms were so hungry for this information and were so just hungry to be validated and to be heard and to, you know, to, to know that their experience was normal and to feel this sense of community. That's really what I am most proud of. It's not necessarily the number of followers because I want to be popular. It's reflective of what an insane community that I've been able to build. And all of these parents are able to kind of come together on my platform and find connection with each other and know that they're not alone and that they're not the only one in the world that's struggling with baby sleep. And so I think that is that has been like just the biggest blessing and definitely what I'm most proud of. So yeah, I mean, I, de- I did definitely, you know, want it to be successful from the beginning, but I had no idea that it would transform my life in the way that it has. So yeah. I really appreciate your transparency. Like the people that follow me on the podcast know, like I'm super passionate about like women and entrepreneurship and building businesses and all of these kinds of things. And like, you know, some of my greatest mentors, like as we build these businesses that we have, you know, that I hold on to that, like, if you are impacting one person, right, you are making a difference. If you're impacting 10, you've built a community, you know, totally. And I I can so clearly remember like it was yesterday, you know, when I first started to talk in stories and I was super uncomfortable about it and I had, you know, less than a couple of hundred followers and I still kind of got the courage up to talk to my phone, which felt super weird at the beginning, but that was my mentality is like, if I can just help one person, then it'll be worth it. And that's how you start at the beginning. I had story views that were like a dozen people. And one of them was my mom. Like it was, you know, it was nothing compared to what it is now, but that's how you start. And that's how you grow. But those other 11 people had a better day and a better night because of the content that you were providing. I hope so. And it's true. And that's why my community. So everyone listening today, Rachel is on the podcast because you guys asked for her to be on the podcast. Like when I put it out there and said, lesson number one in podcasting, (laughs) turn your phone off. (laughs) Let me just turn this off really quick. No problem. Oh God. Um, You guys put it out there that you wanted to hear from Rachel and Hey Sleepy Baby. So, I mean, in two years, I mean, I'm so proud of you. That is a really amazing accomplishment. So, Where do you feel like on a day-to-day basis you show up the most? Like if someone is listening and they've never heard of Hey Sleepy Baby, they've never heard of you, Rachel, like Mm -hmm. where do you show up the most? What are you the most passionate about in your business? 
I would say for sure my stories are where I spend the most time. I also, I am so passionate about getting this information out to the masses that like, yes, I have paid products. I have courses, I have PDF guides, all of that kind of stuff for people who really want to dig in and learn more about baby sleep. But I also feel really strongly about providing a lot of free content as well. So I do have like just an obscene amount of posts and highlights where you can kind of go almost like a glossary and you can search my highlights and find almost any answer to any little issue or problem you're having with your baby sleep. And I also have a blog where I keep track of a lot of that kind of stuff too, because I really just want parents to be able to find what they need in an easy, accessible way. And if you don't have a hundred bucks to spend on a course, I don't want that to prevent you from getting help. So I definitely spend the most time on Instagram. I'm not currently on any other social media platforms. I've thought about doing TikTok, but the audience over there really scares me. So I haven't jumped in there yet, but yeah. So Instagram stories are really where I kind of share like polls and I do tons of Q and A and I show a lot of like my real life as a mom of two, almost three. Again, community is really important to me. So I'm always sharing, you know, DMs that I get and starting conversations on my stories that lots of people can relate to and weigh in on. So I love it. I think that that's a great place for people to start. And the handle is Hey Sleepy Baby. And that's then right. your website's HeySleepyBaby.com. Yep. So mm-hmm. super easy to start off with Rachel and kind of like devouring some of this content. And then if you guys want more, like jump into one of those courses, download those PDFs, like get going with it. Yeah. You are showing up in places that you don't even know about, Rachel. So I have a hundred private doula clients per year that I okay. support face-to-face and laboring with them. And we have a postpartum guide for all of our just private doula clients. It's not out there for birth story media. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Maybe someday, but you got to, you know, it's for people that I'm in a relationship with. Right. With specific recommendations. And you are in there as one of our postpartum Aww, recommendations. And thank I, you. You're welcome. But I venture to say I'm not the only doula that's referring to you and the only birth worker that's, you know, saying, really, let's look at some of the content that Rachel's putting out there, because you're coming to me as your emotional and physical support person as your labor coach and your doula. And you're telling me that it's really hard. And so I think it's really great that we can match you guys there. I appreciate that so much. All right, you're pregnant with your third. Yes. So I'm gonna put you on the spot. How is (laughs) your sleep? Oh, my gosh. Well, it depends on the night and it depends on where we are our life in the last few months has just been really kind of chaotic. We are currently remodeling our home. So we moved then we're actually right now traveling. I'm at my parents' house right now across the country in Connecticut. We're from San Francisco. So the last few months have definitely not been great aside from just like all the pregnancy things, right? Like my hips are sore. I'm peeing a million times a night. So like all that stuff. Plus my kids have just been like their world has been turned upside down a little bit in the last couple of months. So they are still waking up some nights, you know, at least once. So my sleep has not been amazing, but what I've kind of learned is that I am lucky to be one of those people that doesn't actually require a ton of sleep. So if I get like a seven or eight hour night, I am great. And I definitely get that on a regular basis. So I actually feel pretty good and rested most days, but um, yeah, I'm 21 weeks now. So I'm sure that's going to start to take a sharp turn soon. (laughs) I I was going to ask, 
So 21 <laughs> weeks gestation. Yes. So right around this time, depending on anterior, posterior, placenta, you're probably feeling some movements. Are you starting? I have an anterior placenta. Okay. So, That's why yeah. some less movements with anterior. Yeah. yeah. So that part has been a little bit sad and a little bit scary just because you know, with your first, with my first two, I felt them so much and I felt them pretty early. And by this time, my husband was able to feel from the outside. So it's very different this time. You know, I'll go a day or two without feeling anything sometimes, which is a little scary, but I'm hoping, you know, in the next few weeks, I start to feel it a little stronger, but I definitely feel little flutters here and there. Oh, good. So 26 weeks is usually the magic marker for an anterior placenta. So five more weeks. Okay, I can wait. (laughs) And there's some people listening right now that are like, what in the world? Anterior is belly button side. So Mm -hmm. if it's on your belly button side, it's almost like a soft pillow that's kind of muffling some of those movements. But about 26 weeks, most birthing persons report that they're feeling consistent movements 10 per hour. So a couple more weeks, you're almost there. That's good to know. Do you have a Doppler? I don't. I have thought about getting one. I made it through my first two pregnancies without one. So I feel kind of silly buying one now, but it might be worth it for the peace of mind just for the next few weeks. Yeah, I keep one, especially for my clients that like, you know, they're really early on, or maybe they have an illness or a subchorionic like hematoma, and they're bleeding a little bit. And so I'll like kind of lend it out to clients. But you know, help with that anxiety, I bet. Yeah. Would you say that you have more anxiety, less anxiety, the same being on number three versus one or two? It's funny because I have more, I think mostly just because of this movement thing. It's like really hard for me to wrap my brain around it and to like accept that things are okay. We just had our anatomy scan a week ago and everything looked great, perfectly healthy. So that definitely helped me like turn a corner and I feel much better now. But it's almost like when you have two really smooth, healthy births and you have an experienced loss, like I've been so lucky in my fertility journey, especially compared with so many women I know and so many of my close friends, that it's almost like you feel like the sense of, oh, well, something's definitely going to happen to me, right? Like what, when is it going to be my turn for something bad to happen? So I'm definitely like having to work through a lot of those kinds of thoughts. I absolutely understand those thoughts and I wish that they went away. And I think for some people that they do go away, but I've noticed as the kids get older, like when your heart is literally on the outside of your body in these little humans, mm-hmm. every time they do anything, it's like nothing can happen to you, you right. know, like, right. you know, and I don't know. I always thought it would maybe get less and less as they got bigger and bigger and it does in different ways, but then it changes, right? Like yeah. now they can swim and we're at the pool and it's like, oh my God, can I take my mm-hmm. eyes off them for one minute? Or are they going to drown? You know, like, right. So, it's, it's so always something. Hard. And my mom says, we're all in our thirties, me and my sisters. And she says, it's still the same. Like it's, you never stop worrying. So yeah, I guess we just make our peace with that in some way or another. Yeah. And just <laughs> hope that it's like instinct. Like it's like, right, totally. we really want to keep our babies alive. So we're of like, course. you know, we're conditioned to this kind of thinking. All right. Well, you just alluded to the fact that it was, you know, you had a relatively easy fertility journey and getting pregnant, yeah. that type of thing. So let's start there. So like, how'd you find out you were pregnant? Were you trying with your first? Yeah. With my first, uh, no, my first was a surprise. Okay. (laughs) We had been about five or six months married and yep. He was a big old surprise. I woke up one morning at like five in the morning. Like I said, I was a teacher. So I was up very early 
And I realized I was in the bathroom and I realized that I was a couple of days late for my period because I had gone off birth control and was trying to track, didn't do a very good job clearly, but I had a pregnancy test handy. So I was like, let me just take it so I can like have the peace of mind and not worry about this anymore. And it was positive. So I went in and just woke up my husband and I was like, you have to look at this. And he just looked so incredibly shocked and we were absolutely freaking out. We were not ready at all. He was in a master's program and it had been our plan to wait until he was graduated from that, you know, six or seven months later. But yeah, once we were able to get into the doctor and see that it was a real baby in there, we were super excited and, you know, it all obviously worked out and uh, was fine. But yeah, he was definitely surprised. And then my other two were planned. Okay. So how old were you? I was 28. Yeah, I was 28. 28. Okay. And then how old are you now? 33. 33. And you're pregnant with your third. So you're going like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Pretty much two years apart for each. So the first two are closer in age. And this time with the third, we both took a lot longer to decide that we actually wanted the third. So we waited to conceive until my daughter was about two. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now take me back in time. Okay. So unplanned (laughs) pregnancy. Did you know anything about like hospital birth? Like, were you one of those people that was like, I'm going to have an unmedicated home birth or I want my epidural as soon as possible at the hospital? Like, did you have a plan or know anything? I had no plan. I would say that I was on like, I hate this term, but I was on like the crunchier side of things. I would say as far as like not wanting a lot of intervention for my birth, but I did want a hospital birth. My husband and his brother were actually home births and the my mother-in-law is the only one I ever met that did home births. It was like not common where I grew up at all, but now I'm in San Francisco. It's a different story there. So, (laughs) but I did, I, you know, I do have this like anxious personality a little bit when it comes to medical stuff. So I knew that I wanted a, a hospital birth for him and did a lot of research looking for a doctor. And we absolutely loved our doctor, our OB that that we ended up going with him and my second. And so we developed a really wonderful relationship with her. We got a doula and yeah, just felt really good about our support team. And, you know, we made a birth plan that included as little intervention as possible. So I did feel really good about that. What did you like read? Like, so this is fascinating to me. Like, I understand that you're in San Francisco, right? Yeah. But still, it's so surprising. Like I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. There's a million and a half people here most people still are like, what's a doula? Like, do you know what I mean? Like they, like it's, there's still like, it's growing. Right. But the fact that you said you didn't really know or whatever, but like you on your first pregnancy, you had a doula. Yeah. I don't even know how I knew that they were a thing. Honestly, I have no idea how I knew because I only had like one or two friends, not even close friends, like, you know, friend of friends that had babies. I was one of the first in my friend group that got pregnant. So I have no idea how I, how I heard of a doula for the first time. It actually, you know what it probably was, was I might've been looking at birth classes and our doula was the one who ended up teaching our birth prep class. Okay. That so makes that sense. might've been how I was like, Oh, a doula, what is this? Maybe look at that, but I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah. You're right. I mean, most of my friends had no idea that it was a thing. And most of my friends haven't had doulas. Actually. I was like the only one, I'm the only one that I know of that, that did. Yeah. I um, mean, I did not grow yeah. up knowing what a doula was like. No, me either. I became a doula when I was 25 and I was because I attended a friend's birth 
And my sister was like, my sister's very crunchy. And she lives in (laughs) Asheville, which is basically like the San Francisco of the East Coast, you know? Okay. And so she lives in Asheville, North Carolina. And she was like, you were a doula. And I was like, what's a doula? And I typed in (laughs) D-U-L-A into Google. Oh, my God. And I didn't even know how to spell it. And then I started researching it. So I didn't even know. You know what I mean? I don't even like, I don't like, how'd you become a doula? I'm like, I don't know. I Googled the wrong spelling and off we were. Yeah. So you got a doula. You have this OBGYN that you are meshing with in Mm -hmm. San Fran. Like you were kind of on the crunchier side. So like maybe leaning towards unmedicated. Mm -hmm. Were you tied to that? Like really tied to it? Or were you kind of open? I would say I was pretty open. I think on my birth plan, what I wrote was, please do not offer me pain meds or an epidural. I know that they're there. I'm at a hospital. (laughs) Like I am aware that I can ask for them if I want them. So like it definitely wasn't off the table for me, but I really wanted to see if I could do it. And, you know, was kind of just open to the fact that like, if it ever got to be too much, I could ask for one and it wouldn't be a big deal, but I ended up getting to the hospital. I'm sure we'll get to this, but I ended up getting to the hospital at seven centimeters. Good. Um, Whoa. That's perfect. Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, oh, this will be quick. And it ended up going a lot longer than I thought. Okay. Position Um, of the baby. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with how did you know you were in labor then? Yeah. So we were out to dinner the night before my due date. It was my mother-in-law's birthday. So we were out to dinner for her. And I remember the walk home, I just started, I felt the drop. Like I felt he was so much lower. I felt a lot of pressure and I was like, okay, this definitely feels a little different. And, you know, so we got home, I tried to get some sleep and then I would say around maybe like 11 PM, not to get too graphic, but like, I definitely had to use the bathroom frequently. And I don't know if I remember if I knew that that was a sign of labor or not, but I was having to go to the bathroom pretty frequently. And I started to feel what at the time I thought was contractions and I was right. And so I, you know, tried to just get as much sleep as I could. My doula and I had talked about, you know, for your first baby, it's probably going to take a little while. So you probably don't have to rush up if you are feeling contractions that are, you know, several minutes apart. So I tried to get a little more sleep. And then by about 4.30, 5am, they started to get much stronger. And so I got my husband up and we moved me into the bath. So I, you know, was kind of just like chilling in the tub for a while and we texted my doula and she kind of walked us through what, what we might want to do. And, and as they got more intense, I kind of got in and out of the bath. I was, you know, not really wanting to stay in one place for very long. I, at one point was like bouncing on my yoga ball, watching uh, Great British Bake Off, eating some cereal, yep. <laughs> just trying to chill, <laughs> eventually got back into the bath. And then when I got back in the bath, they started to feel very, very strong. And so we called my doula. This was maybe about 730 okay. in the morning and she listened to my contractions. So she was listening to the sounds that I was making and she's like, yep, sounds like we should probably get going. So she, you know, said, I'll meet you guys at the hospital. We were only five minutes away. Okay. So my husband started trying to get me dressed. Was she planning to come labor with you at the house originally? I had told her that I would tell her when I wanted her to come basically. So she had offered when it was earlier in the morning and I was like, no, I think we're good. Like I kind of just wanted to be on our own. And 
once I started to feel like it was stronger, I said like, okay, we should probably get her over here now. And then once she heard me, she was like, I think we should probably just go like I'll meet you at the hospital. Yeah. So she could tell that I was getting close. And um, so, yeah, my husband got me dressed. We zipped over to the hospital and they were very full that day. So I ended up going into like a teeny tiny little trauma room first and my sweet doula, my sweet doula had all of her supplies. She was like, stringing up the little twinkle lights and like spraying the aromatherapy, like in this teeny tiny little room, trying to make it so nice for me. And yeah, she was very sweet. So they checked me and I was about uh, seven centimeters, which I was so happy about. I was like, oh my gosh, like I've already gotten through so much of this. This is great. And then I stalled for about eight hours. Didn't make any progress once we got to the hospital. All right. We got to dig into this. Yeah. Because seven to 10 centimeters, if you're doing vaginal exams, is about when transition hits. Mm -hmm. So some people have transition when at the completion, so around 10 centimeters. Mm -hmm. Some people enter transition around seven centimeters. And sometimes people go from seven to 10 very quickly, right? But transition is that part where the baby is really dropping deep in your pelvis. We're getting close to the fetal ejection reflex and we're experiencing things like shaking, nausea and vomiting, like having to have poop or diarrhea again, just kind of like really primal, like really mammalian, like literally having to pee after every single contraction because the head is just like banging on your bladder yep so she your doula hears you and in my mind I'm like she must have heard some of that primal kind of stuff going on yes did it just kind of come to a halt with getting to the hospital yeah I mean I think once we got to the hospital I started to notice like I don't know what it was psychologically but I just started to really tense up they ended up breaking my water and my doula kept trying to get me to breathe and give me these affirmations. She's like, Rachel, like you need to open up, like literally you need to open because the baby is not going to come if you're holding him in and you're tense like this. I think I was afraid. And so I stalled, yeah, for a very long time. And once we were able to actually transition into our room, things got a little bit better because we had a shower. I spent a lot of time in the shower, a lot of time on the ball. You know, in San Francisco, it's a pretty progressive place. So they don't make mom's labor on their back. I was using like a, what do you call it? When you hold onto something and you pull. Rebozo or a squat bar. Yeah, like a squat bar. Yeah, I had like a really premature urge to push. So pretty much right when we got to my new room, I was like really feeling like I needed to push, really feeling like I needed to be on the toilet like the whole time. So I was kind of, you know, between the ball, the bar, the the toilet and the shower for quite a few hours. And then, you know, eventually I guess they checked me and, and decided that it was time that I could try to push. So at that point I did get onto the bed, but my doula had me hold my feet up in happy baby pose. Love um, that pose. That's like the only back position I do love. (laughs) Exactly. And I loved it too. Like she had me do it on my side even for a little bit. And that was really nice. Fortunately, I was pushing all together for about two and a half hours. That's not bad for a first time birthing person. Yeah. I mean, it's now I know it's like, that's pretty standard at the time. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how am I supposed to keep going? I was so exhausted. And so my husband was kind of like holding up my back because I couldn't hold myself up anymore. And she was down by my legs. She was like applying oils to my labia and like just 
doing whatever she was doing down there that yeah. prevented me from tearing with a nine pound baby. So yeah. So then he was delivered and yeah. So how many weeks gestation was it? He was born on his due date. On his due date. Oh, less yeah. than 5%. So wow. I know. Isn't that funny? Lucky yeah. you, man, because the I last, know. when you go to 41, 42, 43 weeks, it can just be mental torture. I mean, oh my it's gosh, just I know. so hard, you know? I know. So he was nine pounds? Yeah, he was about nine pounds. I think he was like one ounce under nine. His head was in the 99th percentile. Like he, also have to send you a picture. He was a giant giant headed baby but yeah and I'm looking at you and I've seen your stories and you're not a very big person I'm not a big person I'm five one you're five I didn't know you were that small I'm like oh my god I'm five one and my husband's not even that big he's like six feet but pretty average but yeah just your belly must have been huge. huge I was gigantic I was I was so huge at five one, there's nowhere to hide a nine pound baby. No, exactly. <laughs> you know? No, I, I was mean, all belly, like about to tip over for yeah. sure. So you did it all unmedicated. I did. Yeah. I ended up being unmedicated for that one, which like looking back seems a little crazy. Yeah. Like, not. I said, like I thought that I was in the home stretch when I got to the hospital. So I was like, oh, I can definitely do this. And I did, but. Yeah. So it was more than 24 hours of labor. It sounds like. Yeah, I guess from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, about 20. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's pretty average, like 20 mm-hmm. to 24 hours for a first time, like birthing person. I know we're about to get into your second story too. And I'm chuckling because I know a little bit, <laughs> I had a little preview, you yeah. know, but I mean, the fact that you had a birth team around you that like kept pushing you, believed in you, changed your position, let you rest. I mean, all of those things are like the factors that help set you up for success for that. Because for sure, I'm going to be honest with you at five, one and a nine pound baby kind of probably I would say like at some point in that stall, that was a little psychological, but I believe in our baby's innate wisdom too. Mm -hmm. And that they need time to rotate, tuck their chin, tuck Mm -hmm. their shoulders, you know, and sometimes they put the pump the brakes, like, hold on here. I'm not like in this position. And And honestly, it is so my son's personality too. Like he is not going to do anything till he's not ready. Yeah. He is not going to be forced into anything. So like, it just makes total sense yeah. that, that that was my experience but with he, him. So he was like, mom, do you go by mom? Is that your mom? Yeah. Do name? He calls me but mom like, now, yeah, which like, is like devastating. He doesn't call me mommy or mama anymore. Oh, I know when that changed over for me too, I had a hard time, but like, oh. you know, he's like, mom, pump the brakes here. Like I need, totally. I need to like collect my chill and then I'll mm-hmm. come. So amazing. Did you have any significant tearing? No tearing at no all. No tearing at all. No. I mean, and I, I seriously credit that to my doula. She, I don't know what she was putting on down there, but some kind of oil or something. Maybe and like was arnica or almond. Yeah, maybe and she was like helping stretch. And I think the fact that I pushed for so long and, you know, it was a very slow exit. Uh, probably helped too. Yeah. And breathing your baby out. Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of you, Rachel. It's it's not an easy thing to do in the, in, in the United States. So, you know, worldwide, I know people are listening to this podcast, but in the United States, 80% of women approach their labors like you did. I want to have an unmedicated birth, low Mm -hmm. intervention, yet 80% of birthing persons have an epidural. 
Wow, I didn't know that. So it's like flip-flopped between like what we want and we know what we're capable of and then like what actually happens. And so the fact that you had a doula and you had a birth partner and you had a plan and everyone really kind of like kept encouraging you, sounds like the only medical intervention was artificial rupture of your water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and honestly, I didn't even want that, but when they were offering it to me, I was so out of my mind that I was just like, okay, sure. If it'll help, then do it. Sure, and it was so it. painful. I didn't realize it would hurt that bad. The actual but rupturing hurt or the contraction right afterwards? Whatever they, what it's like a huge, is it a needle? Or it's a called what an they... amnio hook. Okay. And it looks like a big plastic sewing needle with a hook yes, on the exactly. end of it. So it, yeah. it felt exactly like what you would expect that to feel like going in. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so you guys that are listening, consider that when someone offers to break your water, right? Yeah, maybe, you know? maybe pass on that. I don't know. <laughs> yes. I'm not an expert, but. Hey, this is the thing. Your water is either going to break on its own or your baby's going to be born in calm. Right, right. You know, right. so yeah. babies don't just stay in there, you know, like they're going to come out, like their water yeah, is going to so break true. at some yeah. point, you know. I don't think you did anything wrong, though. I think that if especially if your birth team was recognizing that you were fatiguing, mm-hmm. artificial rupture of the membranes is a tool that can be used to help accelerate the labor okay. so that you do deliver a little bit faster. And so it that one intervention probably saved you from multiple interventions. Okay. So well, that makes me feel better. Yeah. Okay. Well, beautiful birth. Did you do anything with your placenta, like encapsulate it, eat it, smoothie it? Like I said, I was very crunchy back in these days. So yes, of course I encapsulated it. My doula did that for me. And yeah, she made it into like these little pills that I took and I didn't do it with any, I'm not going to do it again because I didn't. Did you not feel a benefit? Not really, but again, it's my first baby. I have no idea what to compare it to, but I, yeah, didn't feel much difference with my second child. I was going to say, because you have a comparison. People ask me this all the time. They're like, Heidi, I don't know what to do to encapsulate my placenta. Do you, and they'll say, do you have any clients that like did it on one, but didn't do it on another? And I'm like, no. So now I'm going to be like, let's listen to this episode with Rachel. So your first and your second one you did, two you didn't, and you didn't see any difference in the two postpartum periods. No. And like, we'll talk about my second birth, I guess. And there are maybe some other reasons that I maybe felt a little better after hers. I mean, I guess it's probably pretty common to bounce back a little bit quicker after your second than your first, but yeah, after my second baby, when I didn't take the placenta pills, I was taking like long walks three days later. I felt really good. I did struggle with a little bit of postpartum depression after her, but I had postpartum anxiety after my second. So it's like, who knows? It's, it feels like it was a wash really. So do whatever, do whatever feels right to you, I guess, but don't think that they're going to be like this magical. I love the fair balance because a lot of people that come on my podcast are like, I love the placenta. I'm one of those people that like, I just did it with both. And so I don't know the difference. Like, right. Right. I know how I felt and I have no idea if that has to do with the placenta or not. Right. And it's one of those things where it's like, if there's, you know, very little risk, then go for it. If it's going to make you feel good to do that. But yeah, I haven't felt a need to do it again. Yes. I'll just say that. I joke that I feel like it's like perfume. You know what right. I mean? Like don't necessarily need it, but like right. to, can't hurt. Yeah. Some people you may love the smell and some you might not. And you know, right. but like it's not typically unless you have asthma or something, it's not typically harmful. Let's talk about how you felt and how sleep contributed after your first. So Mm -hmm. here you are, you've given birth, 
you did this really powerful thing and you did it unmedicated and then they like shoo you out of the hospital. I know. And so you're home. What was that postpartum period like for you? It was really tough. I'm not going to lie. He was an October baby. And so it was very dark. My husband took, I think, seven or eight days of paternity leave at first. So, you know, my mom was out to help me and then she left. My husband went back to work. I was just like alone with this little baby and it was getting dark at 4.30 PM. And I was just like, it was super depressing. He was also now what I know about babies. Uh, He was a highly sensitive baby. So he was very high needs, needed to be held a lot, needed to be moved around a lot, needed a lot of support to fall asleep. And was, you know, a little bit colicky. We dealt with lots of crying with him. He ended up having a cow's milk protein allergy and eczema and all these things that we had to figure out. And when you're a new parent, you just have no idea what any of that stuff is. So it was very stressful and it was a very, very tough postpartum period for me. I remember feeling extremely anxious every time the sun would go down because I was just dreading the night and dreading thinking about how many times he was going to wake up and, and all of that stuff. And the more I looked into sleep stuff online, I had done a lot of reading. I read every popular sleep book that you can think of. Uh, And according to all of those, I was doing everything wrong because he should have been able to sleep 12 hours by 12 weeks old, right? If I was just following these schedules and using these wake windows and following eat, play, sleep and stretching out his feeding so that he ate a lot at each breastfeed. Like I was doing everything these books said to do and he still was waking up at night and not taking very long naps and, you know, doing everything that a normal newborn does. But I just didn't realize how insane those expectations were. And I didn't have anybody around me that had a baby to tell me that it was okay, that it was like that for a while. So I ended up looking into sleep training and I talk about this a lot about a lot about this on my page. We did try sleep training a few different times the first time when he was about four months and it was just like absolutely awful and never worked. (laughs) So it was kind of all for nothing, which was also really depressing. We felt like we were throwing so much money at this and putting so much time and energy into it and it wasn't working. So it was like, well, what are we doing wrong? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with us? So it was just a very stressful experience. And then we ended up just kind of throwing our hands up when he was a little bit older, maybe around nine or 10 months. And we had finally given up on our last round of sleep training and you know, we just kind of accepted the way things were. He was waking up once or twice a night to feed, going right back to sleep and was pretty easy at bedtime, was now taking longer naps. His sleep was actually pretty great for that age Yeah. (laughs) now that I know. So anyway, and then he started just to drop those feeds and sleep through the night when he was almost one. It was like the week before his first birthday, he started to sleep through the night and he has ever since. And he's still an amazing sleeper at four and a half. So yeah, it was really stressful at the beginning. I, mean, I just wish I could like go back and give myself a hug and like tell myself to chill out. <laughs> you can do that in your mind. It's yes. called IFC therapy in our family <gasps> circle. Oh, it has a name. I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's a nice thing to do. Oh my gosh. Do that, but I didn't know it was like a technical term. Okay. There are, I'm into it. There are therapists that are trained in IFC model and IFC model it states that you have different parts like you have helper part and a protector part and an entrepreneur part and a yeah. you know all these little parts in us and then it identifies you at ages so like when you're feeling a, in a feeling or an emotion in your body a therapist will say 
like when is the first time you remember feeling that feeling in your body? So like some of the things that you're talking about right now, the answer to that would have been 24 hours after I came home from the hospital and I Mm -hmm. was like tired, you know, and you literally go back and you hold that Rachel, that 28 year old in your mind and you give her a hug and you tell her like, we made it and he's now four and a half and he's sleeping great, but you're having a direct conversation with your earlier self. You're going to make me cry. I don't know. It's a really (laughs) powerful, I've done it, but clearly I've done it. You're going to make me cry. I Um, I need to do this. But it's a, it's a beautiful type of therapy called IFC. So I encourage you and you don't have to go to a therapist, like close your eyes, imagine that 28 year old girl hold her and tell her what your life looks like today and how you used that experience to change other people's lives. Oh my gosh. I love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Well, so this was all setting the foundation for you is what Mm -hmm. I'm hearing. Like Mm -hmm. you didn't have the community. You are an avid researcher and reader and you were creating for yourself the tools that you needed that just weren't out there. And yeah. then you got pregnant again. Yeah. <laughs> Planned <laughs> this time. Yes. So mm-hmm. we, like I said, we had a rough start. So we didn't even want to talk about having a second baby until my son was one. We knew we wanted more, but like, I was just not open to the conversation at all until we were sleeping better and I was feeling better. So after he's turned one or so, we started to kind of make a plan. And then we decided to really start trying when he was about 18 months. And fortunately for us, we got pregnant really quickly. So yeah, so my daughter was born when he was about uh, two and three months. Yeah. Right at the beginning of the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. She was born at the end of January, 2020. So we had like five great weeks with her (laughs) until the world shut down. Okay. Did you rehire your doula? We did. And we are, we are working with her again for this third baby. Oh my gosh. I love it. Yeah. The biggest family that I've been able to support in my career is through five births. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. It is so beautiful to be on this journey with the whole family. And you know, I mean, I understand like if someone doesn't hire you again, because of finances or something, but it's when you get to be there, like as the doula for the whole family, it's wonderful. So very cool that you have this special relationship with this woman. I love it. So you hire your doula again Mm -hmm. and you love your OB, you said, Mm -hmm. and you had great experience. So was it the same plan? Like just go back to that? It was like the exact same plan. Okay. It was the exact same plan. I, you know, knew now that I could do an unmedicated birth and everyone was telling me, you know, chances are that your second will go a little quicker and be a little bit easier. So you should be able to do it again if you want to. And yeah. So by this time I had felt pretty confident that, that I could get through it and that I loved my team and that my husband was a great birth partner. We had care for our son lined up with my in-laws. So he was taken care of. So yeah, I really wasn't too worried or anxious about her birth. Yeah. Okay. Now tell me about San Fran spring and summer, 2020 early COVID. Like, did you have to go to all these appointments by yourself? No. So she was actually born right before COVID. So, oh, so she was, like, so you're postpartum parent. Bleh, hold yeah, on. So that's okay. Okay. That's okay. Scratch that question. I'm like doing my math <laughs> wrong. Okay. No, it's, <laughs> it was a confusing time. No, she was born. Okay. Let me take all that out. Bleh, I'm going to re-ask this question. So I was, yeah. So I was pregnant 2019 with her. Okay. 
then then I'm gonna go back to that question at the end when we do like sleep and postpartum, like in yeah, COVID. Yeah. Okay, so let me take that out. Okay. All right. So completely healthy pregnancy again. Like, do you have gestational diabetes mm-hmm. or like GBS positive? Like, is there any hiccup? No, I got super lucky. I mean, I was definitely more sick with her than I was with my son. Like I was really out of commission for the first trimester, completely debilitated. But, you know, once that second trimester came around, I started to feel really good again and everything was super healthy after that as well. So I was lucky. Now in posterior placentas on the first two. So you were feeling all those movements and that daily communication with your babies that like they were doing okay and this second one was a girl yes yeah we found out the sex of both babies pretty early so we found out maybe around 16 weeks or so with her and it was funny because the morning that I went to that appointment we asked my son who's like not even two years old we were like do you want a baby sister a baby brother he didn't know what that meant, but he said, sister. And he had said that like every time we asked. So it was really sweet that we got to come home and tell him he was going to have a sister. Oh, I love it. You know what? They're they're totally tapped in. I think until they're like five or six years old, like they're tapped in, they see everything. I think there is a very definitive reason why we don't have a lot of core memories before six. Cause I think that like, we're all just interacting with the divine still, you know, and then we don't remember any of it for whatever reason. So it'll be my first question whenever I cross over into my next soul, you know, why, why can't I remember anything? Yes. I know. I wish. From those first memories. Okay. So you are just one of those lucky people in this area of your life. Okay. Yes. Yes. Please don't hate me, everyone. If you're having a hard pregnancy, I'm so sorry. No, everyone in this life is going to experience challenges in some form. Some are young yeah. in childhood. Some are here. Some are later, right? Like we're, yeah. the, the combined human experience is that there will be trauma and grief somewhere in our of lives, course. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, don't hate Rachel. She got pregnant easily. Okay. Get over it, everyone. And she had beautiful pregnancies. Some people love it. Okay. Maybe you were a little sleepy. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't yeah. say I love pregnancy, but I was lucky that I had no health complications. I'll no say that. health complications. Okay. Yeah. And, and now we went to due date. So now there's like, there's mm-hmm. pressure. Like that's like a, that's like a go to Vegas kind of thing. So how, what gestation were you when you went into labor with your daughter? So I went into labor with her the real time. Cause I had had contractions for a full weekend that stopped. Uh, but when I was actually in labor with her, she was 40 weeks, two days. Okay. So you know about your gestational age then it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. And Rachel, when you said you had those contractions beforehand, that's called prodromal labor. It oh, sucks a big one. Well, I'm yeah, about horrible. I know where your con- <laughs> I know where your story ends, so I'm going to share with you in the audience then prodromal labor. Prodromal labor is more than Braxton Hicks. Braxton Hicks are like, "Meh, my belly's squeezing and tightening, mm-hmm. and it's kind of coming and going." Prodromal labor is like, I'm legit having contractions and I feel like I'm in labor. Yeah, there were every few minutes. Mm-hmm. It was like it was labor, I thought. But it doesn't progress. Right, exactly. It is exhausting. It hurts. <laughs> it's tiring. It can come every two to five minutes, yep. but it just doesn't get stronger. There's no bloody show. There's no water breaking. There's no like, 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 let's get the show on the road. And if, if you were to have vaginal, say you were at the hospital and you were doing vaginal exams, 
you would your that it would be like four centimeters, four centimeters, four centimeters. Right. You they know? would have probably sent me home if I had gone in. Yeah. It yeah. is prodromal labor is one of the most frustrating things for multips, meaning you've given birth before. When okay. you've given birth before, your body loves to do this. So Rachel, <laughs> I'm gonna doula you a little bit, even though I know you okay. have a great I know you have a great doula, but like expect that with this third yeah. one too and okay. maybe even for longer than three days so oh. on a third I wouldn't be surprised at all if you had prodromal labor meaning on and off or on and off for a week now what is it doing when we are pregnant our cervix is very posterior in the back kind of towards your rectum so if you are to have a vaginal exam your provider has to go in and then kind of like up toward around the baby's head in the back mm-hmm. okay when we have prodromal labor, it is labor, it is doing something, meaning it is bringing that posterior cervix forward to an anterior position or a mid-center position. It's thinning or facing the cervix. So an average length of a cervix is four centimeters throughout your pregnancy, and then it, it effaces all the way to like paper thin, and then it opens and dilates. So prodromal labor will bring that cervix forward, it will thin that cervix out, and it will open it all the way to like six centimeters sometimes. Okay, well, this is making a lot more sense about why her labor was so fast once it actually started. Right, I was like, I know where we're going with this. So I just want to tell you like those three days, basically you were achieving early labor, which in your first birth with your son was like from 7.30 p.m. until like 7.30 a.m. and then kind of that lull, you were experiencing that slowly over three or four days. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So by the time you went into active labor, I'm not, I don't know, I didn't have my hands in your vagina. I'm going to assume. (laughs) Nobody did. (laughs) I'm going to assume that your cervix was very anterior, very thin, and very open. That would be a fair assumption, I think. So then what happened? (laughs) So they stopped. Those contractions stopped. And we had my son come back home because he had gone to his grandmother's because I thought I'm in labor. Uh, So he came home and I woke up. I think it was, yeah, like I said, two days after my due date. Woke up very early in the morning. It was probably about six and started to feel the contractions again. But this time they were much stronger than they were when I'd had them those few days over the weekend. And so this was on a Tuesday. And so I told my husband, like, I think this is probably it. So I'm going to go do my thing and get in the bath again. Like, remember how great that (laughs) that worked the first time? So I'm going to go do that. I'm going to relax. So I drew myself a bath. My son was still sleeping. I had my iPad with Real Housewives playing And I was just like, this is going to be great. I'm going to just do my thing here. And then when I feel like it's time, we'll call the doula and we'll go. So I did that for a little bit. And, you know, my son got up, my husband gave him breakfast. He got on the group text with our doula, told her what was going on. She said, all right, well, it's going to probably go a little quicker this time. So make sure you keep me updated. So, you know, we decided that we would start to get going. We, it was now about seven o'clock or so. And my husband decided to call his mom to come back over and get my son. So she was on her way. The doula was going to be on her way and she was going to come meet us at the house this time. And (laughs) in the time that it took for them to drive across town to our house, which wouldn't have been more than 30 minutes, uh, 
I started to feel extremely strong contractions. And now looking back, I know that I was in transition because it was, I was screaming, I was yelling, I couldn't stand up by myself. I had to brace myself against a wall. I was trying to make my way to my bedroom so that I could get dressed. My husband was trying to get everybody packed up, trying to get the stuff in our car, trying to get my son ready to go. And I couldn't make it to the bedroom without him. So I went back to the bathroom, got on the toilet, started to feel like I was you know, gonna have like diarrhea and stuff like that. And all of a sudden had this like realization that there was no way I was going to be able to get in the car. And there was no way that I was going to make it to the hospital. Like this baby was coming now. Like you could feel it. Oh, I could, I, it wasn't even that I could feel it. It just felt like extreme contractions. Like what I had remembered, almost like, like the ring of fire, maybe Mm -hmm. it felt very extreme. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I don't remember it hurting this bad. I need an epidural. Like I have to get to the hospital, but there's no way it's going to happen. And so I started to just kind of slowly let that fade away. And it was just like this internal knowing that she was going to be born right there. Like she was going to be born at home. And so I told my son who is two, (laughs) you need to get mommy her phone. It was just like across the bathroom on the counter. He listened, thank God, which is not like him at all, but he listened. He got me my phone and he brought it to me and I called 911 and they, you know, tried to tell me to calm down and (laughs) trying to tell me to get towels. I was like, I can't do any of that. I can't calm down. I can't get up and go get towels. Like, tell me something that I can actually do. Like, just get somebody here. Cause this baby is going to come out right now. My husband's outside, like getting our car packed anyways. So my poor son is like terrified. I'm like making all these crazy sounds. I'm crying. And he just comes up to the toilet and puts his hands on my knees and puts his forehead to my forehead. And I am just yelling, mommy's okay. Mommy's okay. Mommy's okay. And he is just hysterically crying. And it was just like, he's like your doodla, you know? Yeah, he was. (laughs) He was like my little doula, my doodla. Oh my God. That's so funny. And so we just stayed like that for a minute and he, you know, got off of me. I, I got up took the phone with me to the tub, which was just across the bathroom. And I started to get onto my knees and I was leaning over the tub. So my elbows were on the tub. I was kneeling and I felt her head come out and the water break. And I was like, what the hell do I do now? So I was like, not wanting to push anymore. I was too scared to look. I was too scared to feel what was happening. So I just stayed there for what felt like hours, but it was and probably your seconds. Outside. My husband comes in at this exact moment down the hallway, stands in the doorway of the bathroom and says, oh my God, her head is out. She's literally turned. I'm turned away from him. My back is to him. So her head, her face is looking at him, <laughs> like literally just hanging out of me. That's the perfect LOA position. Occiput exactly. Great. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. So we were on a good track. So she was facing the right way. Yeah. So he's like, I came in and she was literally looking at me, like hanging out of you. And yeah. so he came in, knelt down next to me. My son was just still standing there. And he said, push. And I gave one push and she came out into his arms and he oh pulled God. her out. And we took a look at her. She looked a little bit gray. She wasn't making any noise right away. So we were a little bit concerned. We started to kind of, you know, try to rub her and tap her back and stuff. And like 
30 seconds later, the EMTs came in our door and my mother-in-law came in at the same time right behind them. So she kind of scooped up my son and took him to console him. And the EMTs took a look at us and, you know, she started to cry and they said she looked great. They did the, what is it called? The APGAR mm-hmm. or yeah, they, so they, you know, said she looked okay. She was still attached to me. And they said, do you want to cut the cord or are you wanting to do delayed cord clamping? So, I left them. I, I love them. I know, this in, is San Francisco. I'm like, only you. in San Francisco, do you want to do delayed cord clamping, the EMT? So I did. I was like, I would really love to do delayed if that's possible. So they were like, yep, we'll get you on this stretcher. We lived in an apartment. Luckily, we were the first floor, but they were like, we've got this stretcher we can put you on and she'll just stay attached. You'll just hold her and we'll get you into the ambulance and go. And so I was like, okay. And so you know, they threw like a sweatshirt on me and, you know, some pants or something. I think my husband tried to like scoot leggings on me and they took me out and she was still attached. And, um, we ended up having, you know, a pretty short, easy ride to the hospital. So my husband cut the cord while we were in the ambulance Okay. and I got to the hospital and they were like, Oh, like we were wondering what happened to you guys. Cause I guess my husband had called to tell them we'd be on the way. And they were like, okay, so you've already had the baby. That's great. We're going to put you into your recovery room. And so I delivered the placenta in there. And then the doula actually met us there because she was on her way to our house. And by the touch, like she didn't even make it to our house in time. So she ended up rerouting and coming to meet us at the hospital. So Um, someone alerted her that the baby was born. Yes, so my husband texted her basically, like when she came out and while the EMTs were looking at us and stuff like that, my husband texted uh, the doula to let her know, like, sorry, she's already here and we'll meet you at the hospital. And he texted my parents and he actually took a picture, which is like the best picture ever of me just looking like in complete shock. I'm holding her. She's still attached to me. There's like EMTs all around me. I'm just like in our bathroom. And I'm like, so glad we have that picture now. Cause it's just, it's so wild to relive it. I love it. Is there, there should be like a Facebook group or club like with these few stories, you know, did know. you ever watch like so the bachelor cool. bachelorette? You know, what's so funny is I watch it on and off. I wouldn't say like, I'm a super fan, but are you going to talk about Jade? Yeah. I was going to yes. say Jade's story. I remember seeing her. I don't even think I follow her, but I saw, it must've been like a really popular photo. It showed up on my explore page and I think her baby was born just a few months before my daughter. And so I do remember thinking, seeing that picture. And I remember thinking when I like right when I had had the baby in the bathroom, I remember thinking about that picture. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what happened to Jade. <laughs> and yeah. like, she was the only other person I'd ever heard of really that had had a home birth that was not planned, right? Like I, I had heard about home birth before, but um, yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I did definitely think about it. Yeah, I've only had one client have an unplanned home birth like yours too. So okay. I mean, it is, and I've had a thousand births I've attended. Oh my gosh. So I mean, it is pretty rare. You know, was usually, it their second or? It was their second too. Okay. Yeah. Like the husband yeah. was like, hey, come on, head over. It was almost very identical to yours. And it's actually in my book that I wrote. It's one of the stories. So I'll sh- I'm going to ship it to you because you got to oh, read yay. it. I would love to it's read it. I so love similar. And it was really like I was on, driving there and same thing. He was like, and I tied the umbilical cord with a shoelace. Oh my God. Like, meet us at the hospital. And I was like, okay. So that's amazing. So there's a small club. That's what I mean. Like, it would be fun to get you guys together and talk about your stories. Yeah. I have a blog post where I talk about it like more in detail. And sometimes I'll share it on my Instagram page. 
And I'll always get like a small handful of messages that are like, oh my gosh, this happened to me too. It's, it's really funny. It's a very small little community, like you said. Yeah. But it's like, it's very exciting and like, but can be traumatizing in a whole different way, you know, because yeah. it's just not what you're expecting. But what I want for you to walk away from me, I'm like, I cannot get out of my role as a doula ever. But like, is because <laughs> now you're pregnant with your third 21 weeks. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to that prodromal labor. Yeah. If you're interested, you know, I'm never really about the vaginal exams, but like in your case, it may let you know with certainty, like I am certain you were six centimeters dilated, a hundred percent effaced in a zero station with an anterior mm-hmm. positioned cervix when your labor contractions began, because right. there was nowhere to go besides right. transition and birth. That was right. it. So what are you doing this time? Are you going to plan a home birth? We are honestly leaning that way. We have not made a 100% decision. There's just like, we have so much stuff going on in our life right now that are like a bunch of moving pieces, including like where we're going to be living, Yeah, (laughs) which is a big one. But yeah, I mean, for this reason, I'm really leaning towards a home birth just because I really don't want to give birth in a car. And I just think it would be like a more calming experience if we just like set ourselves up for what's likely to happen. Yeah, And luckily in San Francisco, like we have an amazing doula that we love and trust. And there are so many amazing midwives. So I'm kind of in that process now. Like I'm still getting care through our regular OB and our hospital, but we're starting to kind of interview and sit with different midwives. And if I find that I really click with one of them, I will strongly consider a home birth. Yeah. And I mean, and there's no guarantee either, right? Like just just because you had a precipitous birth on your second, like the third is the wild card. Have you heard that? Right. Yes, I have, like almost like a tiebreaker. Yep, this one could be 13 hours or it could be 45 minutes. You know what I mean? So who knows, you know, just go like, just like you said, like you had this knowingness with your daughter, like Mm -hmm. tap into that as much as possible and the right decision will come to you on what you should do for your birth. It it will emerge at some point, you know? And so I love that you're doing what we call parallel care kind of both. Mm -hmm. And then you can decide in the moment where it feels safest for you to birth your third child. You know, I love it. Well, before we go, and I don't want to hang up. This has been so fun. Um, We'll have to have like a recap for baby three on how it went down. Oh my gosh. I'd love to, you know, like a really quick. So before we end though, like I would love for you to send off the listeners like your message, like she was born, it w- then COVID happened. We talked about some of the postpartum stuff and you launched Hey Sleepy Baby. So yeah. just leave us there, like with, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but just yeah. like, take me, take us on the end of your journey here of what's happened from that moment to the last two years. Yeah. I mean, I think what I've learned in the last two years, just with being a mom of two and a business owner and in this world of sleep, I've really just learned that we as moms have so much more inner knowledge and inner wisdom than we give ourselves credit for. And a lot of times what happens with, you know, these classes and books and Instagram pages and, and all the outside voices out there, what they do is kind of strip away that inner knowing and that inner knowledge And they kind of lead us away from what we feel is right. So we think, oh, well, this person says that I should do it this way. So I'm going to do it that way instead of, you know, really tuning into yourself and tuning into your baby and getting to know your baby as an individual. They are little people, you know, they're not just these blank slates. And 
So I wish that I could go back. And like you said earlier with that therapy, I will go back now and tell myself this with my first baby. I wish I knew that like the hard stuff is hard. It's hard because we're not meant to do this all alone, right? We're meant to be doing this with a village of support. So if you feel like this is really hard, it's not because you're doing anything wrong. It's not because you're making any mistakes. It's because we are meant to do this with so much more help than we are currently getting. And so please, please just give yourself some grace and give yourself some love and acceptance and compassion and know that yes, it is hard. It's hard because it's supposed to be hard and you will also get through that hard stuff and don't add any unnecessary stress and pressure and anxiety where there really doesn't need to be any. So if you enjoy snuggling your baby and holding your baby while they sleep and letting them feed to sleep on you, like just do all of that. You're never going to regret that kind of thing. So that would honestly be my main takeaway that I would want people to leave this with, especially because most of your listeners are probably about to become parents for the first time. Um, That's just what I wish somebody had told me. Just don't stress about the small stuff. Um, Thank you so much for that like divine wisdom. It's a really special and the last question I ask all guests is to please share your favorite pregnancy, birth, baby product. Like what's the one thing that you are like has to be on your registry? A carrier for sure. Mm-hmm. I've had, I think I have a collection of five or six different wraps and carriers by now. And, it, you know, it's important with your first baby just because you're not used to being like nap trapped all the time and you still want to kind of be like up and going out and doing things and, and doing stuff around the house. So it's nice with your first baby, but with your second or third, it is like a top necessity to be able to pop that newborn into a, into a carrier, into a wrap so that you can still, you know, run around after your toddler. So I am definitely going to be investing in a new one. I want like a really nice fancy one for this third baby. That's going to be like my treat for myself, but yeah, that would definitely be like my must have is a great wrap or, uh, or structured carrier that you really like. I love it. Whichever one you decide to buy, let me know and I'll put it in the show notes. I will. And I'll, and I'll will. link to it for you. I will. So that people other are people are going to think I'm so bougie. It's like the most expensive one I've ever seen. But it's, okay. it's called it's called Artipop. Okay. I don't even know how to spell it, but it's like I've seen it on Instagram and TikTok a ton. They're really expensive. But one of my good friends just found one on Facebook marketplace for like 50 bucks. So I'm going to try that first. Oh my gosh. And it's called Artipop? Artipop. Yeah. I think that's how you say it. Okay. I'll find it. I'm going to Google that. I'm going to put it in the show (laughs) notes. There is this company that's headquartered in Charlotte actually called Stork Exchange. Oh yes. Those are great. We have one of those in San Francisco as well, I think, or something similar. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't know if it's a chain or not, but I know that they have like an online marketplace and then some storefronts, but like where you can sometimes find like this very expensive bougie stuff there. So it's worth, it's definitely worth looking into. So yeah, for sure. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your birth stories. So open and vulnerably and for really everything that you're doing with Hey Sleepy Baby and online and just really support supporting like you are supporting my dual clients that means so glad to hear that you're a very special person to me and we didn't even know each other before this call so I really appreciate you for that thank you and I wish you a beautiful birth thank you so much you're welcome thanks Bye. bye thank you for listening to birth story my goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go 
and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like. Okay, I have a really amazing discount for you guys with anjahealth.com. So it's A-N-J-A health.com. They are my exclusive partner for cord blood and tissue banking. If you've listened to episode 88 of the podcast, where I interview the CEO, Catherine Cross, all about cord blood and tissue banking and the 1,000 questions that I had. My child has cerebral palsy, from a birth injury. I cannot go back in time. It is one of my greatest regrets. So I partner with Anja Health because I'm so passionate about cord blood and tissue banking, and I really want to teach you guys all about it. Code Birth Story gives you the biggest discount that there is available, and they are committed to Birth Story always being the biggest discount. So right now, it makes your kit only $20, which essentially covers shipping. So it's $180 off with Code Birth Story. So please consider cord blood and tissue banking. Look at anjahealth.com. Again, it's A-N-J-A Health. Dot com. And if you are going to bank your cord blood and tissue, then please use code BIRTHSTORY so you get the biggest and best discount that is available.